Episode 371 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you doing? Okay. Good. Uh, You spent the winter co-editing a book, and that book Mm -hmm. is now shipping. Tell people. It's actually... Use the massive platform that we have built here. Spread the word. It is actually shipped. It is it is actually arrived in some people's houses. Some people are holding it right now, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know how that happened. I don't think I have anything to do with this, but I am. Um, it, it's come out a month earlier than it did in previous years, like like actually on an entire month earlier than some years. Yeah, this is very strange. But so uh, this, this is like uh, when we had Kevin Corrine on, and I refused to say what what book he wrote. You should say the name of the book. I don't know what is the name of the book. What is is it? it we we refer to it as the the, the annual, but yeah. I don't think the annual is actually in on the title page. Is it? It's just called Baseball Prospectus 2014. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. That is the name of of the book that you <laughs> co-edited. Uh, but <laughs> uh, d- right, but we don't um, like we don't italicize. Do we italicize it on our site? What it, uh, I do, if I mention it in an yeah. article. Anyway, it's on Amazon. Amazon does. Uh, Baseball Prospectus 2014. It is, um, it is the reason that we exist, more or less. It is uh, you know, one of our signature products. So if you are a podcast listener, but you are not a consumer of all the things that Baseball Prospectus does, uh, in addition to subscribing, uh, you should know that um, you know, this is a pretty special thing we do. And um, Jason Wojciechowski and I... Uh, edited it this year for the first time, and we're both really proud of how it came out. We would have been really proud of how it came out, even if it had turned out horrible, uh, <laughs> because it's such a huge process that by the time you're done, you're really impressed that you got through it. Um, but we're also exceptionally proud of, of the product itself. We think you'll like it a lot. So uh, this is probably the first of many times you'll hear me mention that you should go buy it. And tell people what is, what is new and exciting about it. Uh, all the words are good. <laughs> and you you recruited many uh, leading lights of the baseball writing world and baseball broadcasting world and other aspects of the baseball world to write the chapter essays this year. And, That's true. And they turned out quite well. Well, I think so. Have you read it? Uh, I have read some of it. I've tried not to read too much of it because I want to read it once I have it in my hands. Um, but what I've seen has has looked good can i tell you my can i tell you my favorite line in the entire book okay uh this is this is a line out i have a lot of favorite lines in the entire book but this is a line out uh in the tigers chapter and it is for a pitcher named brenny paulino Uh and uh his line out reads brenny paulino went another year without throwing Time is still on the 21-year-old's side, figuratively, but a bad shoulder is still on his side, literally. <laughs> That's good. 
That's my favorite line in the book. It's so simple. <laughs> there are many lines that other people will consider better than that one, but that's my favorite. I like Vic Black. Yeah, Vic Black's is great. Vic <laughs> Black's is very good. Should we read Vic Black's? Uh, sure. <clears throat> have I have it in it. front of you? Yeah. Uh, Victor Black. Black was the player to be named in the deal that sent Marlon Bird and John Buck to Pittsburgh. He immediately endeared himself by asking for any number they will give me, taking the 7 train to City Field and showing an upper 90s fastball with a devastating 12-6 to 6 power curve. Black was so impressive that one or two closer of the future stories popped up. He's battled control problems his entire career, but when the ball is down, he's close to unhittable. One negative, a guy named Vic Black should have to pitch in a dark suit and sunglasses and take his glove out of an attache case. The the real Vic Black looks like he'd make you a mixtape in his free time. (laughs) You couldn't even read it right. (laughs) No. I mean, you read it right, but you were, it was hard to hear. You you laughed all over your punchline. Yeah. Just by the... Can I read one? Can I read one more I like? Sure. Uh, toolsy third rounder Keon Broxton lost his power stroke, quit stealing bases, moved from center field to the corners, and was kicked off the 40-man roster. Just wait till next year, he tells people when they ask him when X-Men Days of Future Past is coming out. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, All right. Yeah. So that's just a little taste of there's the an, there's thousands a, of player comments in this There's book. a really great essay by Grant Brisby that's not about a team. Uh, that's just about general baseball, and there's a really great essay, essay by Dan Brooks that um, I loved, and there's uh, two great essays by Russell, and the whole thing is great. We should stop talking about it, but uh, really good stuff. So please, mm-hmm. uh, please um, buy it, read it, and then find uh, the writer of your choice from from within and send them a compliment. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Uh, emails. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, in reference... Oh, by the way, uh, better than fat player photos or skinny player photos are mariachi band photos, right? Did you see the mariachi band photo? No. How do you never see these photos? I'm always breaking well, ben, breaking. I was news. doing... Oh, you were was, editing the annual. I was doing work for you, Ben. <laughs> um, well, I just sent it to you. <laughs> are you... <laughs> Uh, the look on his face (laughs) yeah it's not there's nothing actually (laughs) funny about mariachi hats all the humor is in his face we are are talking about Alex Rodriguez of course who was was photographed uh, in a mariachi band from multiple multiple angles i just sent you another angle with the same expression on his face so this so i'm i'm hoping hoping that this will be a staple of the coming year that squeaky laugh that's only come out like three times on the podcast (laughs) so if he doesn't become a broadcaster who rips the yankees as one listener suggested i hope that just every now and then he'll be photographed in some improbable situation with this expression on his face he looks like he's in the 
uh, in like the foyer between an art museum and its bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's no visual component to this podcast, unfortunately. But if you're following along at home, uh, just Google a Rod Mariachi. You can laugh along with Sam. All right, um, we, we can do emails now. All right. Uh, all right. So in reference to uh, what we talked about yesterday, very very briefly about um, incentives being generally boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, friend of the show, Matt. Uh, wrote that he once got assigned uh, the 10 weirdest incentives ever. He says, it was brutal. I only remember two good ones. The Houston Astros gave Charlie Kerfield <laughs> 37 boxes of orange jello to head off a rumored holdout. <laughs> <laughs> to what? <laughs> to head off a rumored holdout. <laughs> <laughs> there is a better one than that? No. There's not. There's oh, not. This, these were these unfortunately were out of order. <laughs> sorry. Okay. I uh, I don't even want to read it. Uh, George Brett got partial ownership of a rental property in Memphis, and the bat from the pine tar incident in his 1984 deal with the Royals, which is not as funny, but is actually very interesting. The idea that the club owned that bat and uh-huh. was able to give it to him as compensation and had to negotiate it probably. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. My gosh, a A Rod. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we should have Andy on to ask him how that picture was taken. All right, so that one's that one's uh, that one's done. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so uh, I lost the one I wanted to read. Okay, so Mick uh, writes, and in fact, a couple of a couple of questions somewhat kind of were along these lines, Uh, but Mick writes. Suppose there was an employee at Tony Bosch's lab who idolized A-Rod and made sure that every pill, every injection, and every gummy he ever received was nothing more than sugar water. A-Rod never fails a drug test, true, and he feels stronger because of the placebo effect. Since MLB can't prove he took steroids, other than Bosch's word, does his suspension hold up? Is this like buying oregano from an undercover police officer? And what does this do to public opinion of A-Rod of MLB? Do you remember if we've ever talked about this hypothetical? I don't recall. You don't? Because when I, I definitely talked about this with Jason when he was writing about um, the arbitration uh, proceedings. Mm. Um, and we had him on around that time. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember if we had him on to talk about this. But I found the chat mm-hmm. that I had with him at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just going to read it as a script. Uh, so Jason says, yeah, if I recall correctly, Jason's a lawyer, by the way, in case people are wondering why <laughs> yes. we care. Uh, yeah, if I recall correctly, intent to possess is not a violation, only use and possession and facilitation. And then I say, fascinating. And then Jason says, this is a whole topic um, in regards to criminal law and torts. Bad intent without a bad act. Bad act without bad intent is easy. It's typically a lesser punishment or else if all if it falls below some threshold, not punishable at all. The other way, well, it's funnier. For one, <laughs> there are these great cases, hypotheticals about a person who thinks he's smuggling drugs, but it's chalk. Um, so you, um, so Jason's understanding, actually, Jason specifically said in regards to the CBA, is not, it would not be a violation if uh, if A Rod bought steroids that were not steroids. It would not be a violation under the CBA. However. 
A-Rod was not suspended under the CBA. A-Rod was suspended mm. under the whatever the other thing that Bud Seeley did the work around. And this goes back to what we said yesterday, which is that anytime they want to, Major League Baseball will just enact whatever rule they want to and do whatever they want with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's fair. I, I would say with almost 100% certainty that if um, if 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 they if Major League Baseball knew that these drugs were not drugs. Uh, if they had proof, if it was in the journals, if it was in the diaries, if Bosch testified, it would not change his penalty uh, by one game. Uh, I think they are uh, they are interested in penalizing players who attempt to cheat, and the um, the, uh, the the uh, the the uh, efficacy of their attempts is irrelevant. Um, and the more they attempt, I mean, you know, like with mm, well, I guess Melky didn't get punished anymore for his website, did he? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so but A Rod is being punished, according to what they say, uh, he's being punished extra for essentially going to extra attempts to cheat even more. Like ba- basically, like his attempts to cover up are what they're using to justify the um, the greater penalty. So they're all they seem to be all about effort. This is this is a uh, they are like a manager who judges you on on how hard you hustle uh, rather than how good you are. They're they're like the they're Tony Larusa, and and A Rod is their second baseman, and they're mostly interested in hustle, uh, cheat hustle, steroid hustle, and I think they would have spent him just as much as they did. Do you, I don't think it would necessarily affect public opinion all that much. Maybe it yeah. would not. It might not fifteen percent off of how much people scorn him, but it would add fifteen percent to how much people mock him. It might help a little bit, at least in that people would question his performance less maybe but yeah well uh, i think if, if, if all the drugs that a-rod had ever taken yeah. were found to be uh placebos that's the case in the most recent case i mean he hasn't been right right all that yeah all yeah. that great to yeah so probably not much of a change uh yeah probably not all right uh scott asks uh basically i'm gonna skip the part where he um explains and just skip to the to the question what percentage of players deserving to be on an mlb roster are not and has that number been in steady decline over time basically he's saying uh have all the uh advances in scouting development analysis medicine and the near complete opening of the international player pool plus other factors uh is it safe to say we've cleared every hurdle uh that um yeah every hurdle that would keep a player from making it to the majors or being in the majors if he deserves to be um so then he says, are we really just talking about a few Cubans and Asian players? Uh, obviously, there are athletes in other sports who could play baseball at the MLB level. Good point. Not a bad point. But for the purposes of the question, let's consider only people who are actively playing organized baseball somewhere in the world. Um, so that's the question. How many players currently playing baseball are better than, um, let's say, well, I mean, I don't want to say the uh, – 1200th best player on a 40-man roster Mm -hmm. but can we say maybe the 900th best player or the Uh, 600th where do you want to go well 40-man or active active you can take Uh, your pick you can sounds like he's talking about active i mean people who are actually on a roster on an active roster all right Um, so there's 750 of those guys plus injureds mm -hmm. um so but you know a lot there's guys coming up and down who have been in the majors in the last year but aren't currently. So basically, let's say 
how many players in the world currently are better than, you want to say, um, John McDonald? <laughs> sure. Um, <clears throat> it's not a not a huge number. I would say that they're they're always a you know at least a probably more than a handful of guys in the minors, just uh, guys who are blocked by someone in their organization, but would be perhaps better than the weakest player in another organization or guys who are being held down due to service time stuff or guys who are top prospects and maybe they could, you know, uh, they could be good right now, but you're leaving them down a little longer to work on something before you call them up. Or conceivably you could, you could say, you know, like the, the top X pitching prospects, top X starting pitching prospects in the minor leagues would probably be better than, you know, how many guys in the back of bullpens yeah. right now if they were relievers. Um, yeah, definitely. So if you count all those guys plus, I don't know, uh, a smattering of, of international players, um, not a not a huge group anymore, I wouldn't think. Um, I'm going to say uh, 50. 50 in the world, yeah. I I it's don't know that pretty, I disagree with it's that. It's a pretty efficient um, promotional system, I think. It's a I mean, it's a meritocracy for the most part. Yeah, I mean, you could maybe Yeah, I mean, jeez, ah, it's it's really hard to imagine that there is a guy out there who's 27. Like I could imagine that there are, you know, 16-year-old well, not not even this anymore as much, but you know, sixteen-year-old Italian kids who are under scouted mm-hmm. and um, are good enough to be signed. Uh, you know, the, but that's not the same as saying they're as good as a major league player. They might be right. as good as they might be as good as some sixteen-year-old right now who is going to someday be a major leaguer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might belong in that pool that gets winnowed down to the major leaguers. But we, you'd have to be talking about somebody who's in his twenties, still playing baseball. At a major league level, presumably, I mean, what would that guy hit in like a Dutch league? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it would be insane. So I, I don't know. I'd guess that there's, yeah, maybe like three guys in independent leagues, and maybe you know you've got a small handful in Cuba. You've got guys in Japan who either don't want to play here or haven't been posted, mm-hmm. um, and. You've got the minor leaguers. It's hard, and then you've got the NFL guys, but he's not counting those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really think of where else anybody would be hiding. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe is it conceivable that there's a, some guy who's in prison, like who, like when he was 17, <laughs> was good enough to be drafted, but you know, robbed a liquor store or dodged the draft or something like that and like the joined a mariachi band and so is in prison and is currently playing in a prison league (laughs) and is good enough to to go to the majors probably not maybe i and maybe they're well they're you know like where is elijah dukes today for instance right i mean like he's kind of, you know, got in tons and tons of trouble and just terrible makeup and all of that. Uh, but 
talent-wise, was probably good enough to keep playing. Um, so yeah, probably I, a, a few guys I, like that. I, I'm ignoring anybody who's played in the majors, though. I think once uh-huh. you've been in the majors, you're eliminated from this competition. So what you're okay. looking for is the Elijah Dukes who didn't hold it together for six years. Yeah, uh-huh, right. Yeah, not, so not a whole lot seems, of these guys. 50 seems reasonable to me. Uh, I don't really know how many of the number is in, in Japan or maybe in you know, Korea, um, but I would say it's low. I think that the, the gist of the question is, is correct. There is virtually nowhere to hide, and I doubt anybody is particularly hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's what makes the Toe Nash story so, uh, what made it so interesting at the time and what, in retrospect, makes it so sort of funny that we all got kind of duped and why, like, in retrospect, it looks so unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, so there's, I think we got three questions that are all along, uh, the same line, or there are three different twists on this question. When we talked about the 1927 Yankees and how good they would be, uh, today if they were transported via time machine. Um, so Benjamin says, Jeff Francoeur or Delman Young would be the nth best player on the 1927 Yankees. Uh... I'd say they'd probably be the seventh best. Seventh best, really? Yeah, I think that's too too low. Uh, uh, well, I I don't know. I well, I would take Ruth and Gehrig. Um, you over, would over them. Do you think I, Lou Gehrig is better than Jeff Francoeur? Um, yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, but yeah, seven, seven was too high. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I mean, I wouldn't take any other position player. Maybe. Well, uh, I mean, there were other Hall of Famers on that team. Earl Coombs and Tony Lazari were on that team, but... I don't know that I would take either of them really. I um I I I don't know where uh I don't know where I wrote this, so I'm not going to be able to find it. Um, but at one point I looked at Babe Ruth's swing, like I <laughs> I gift Babe Ruth's swing, uh-huh. and it's horrible, <laughs> like. You look at him and he looks like an amateur. He looks like a high schooler who's never been coached. Uh-huh. Um, and then also, I want to just bring this up. So Babe Ruth, uh, this is a tweet of mine from July. Babe Ruth took nine years off from pitching, then started a game when he was 35 and threw a complete game victory. Um, I have a hard time believing that Babe Ruth at 35 after not pitching for nine years was actually anywhere close to a major league caliber circa 2013 like i don't even think close like this is why i think high you know the average high a team would have would wallop them because the babe ruth stuff babe ruth is basically what gives me conviction about this position babe ruth was not a particularly good athlete he didn't have a particularly good swing and yet he managed to be like an all-time great pitcher and hitter simultaneously and also Nine years after the last time he pitched, he came in through a complete game victory, like on a whim. And mm-hmm. I just think that baseball was like just 
completely not real then. Like this whole thing was like, uh, you know, like, like, like the, you know, like, I don't, I don't exactly know what it was, but it was weird. So, uh, so I just think that, I think that Jeff Francoeur, I don't know. I, I think Jeff Francoeur might be, uh, 30 times better than Babe Ruth. Mm, I don't think so. Um, do you remember, uh, do you remember Jaime, Jaime Savallos, uh, the, the, the swing mechanic guy who was the, the coach who was credited with, um, turning Ben Zobrist into a good hitter? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I forget, I don't know what he's doing now, um, but I remember reading, he had, he had this, uh, uh, he, he had this. Uh, it was uh, Tommy Tommy Rancel, the uh, writer about the Rays and other subjects who listens to the podcast, uh, wrote an article about cracking the Zobrist code for D Rays Bay, and he wrote about Ceballos and his philosophies and everything. And he he described his his rating of how good a, a hitter's swing was was called the CIR, the Ceballos Impact Rating, and. The, the part I liked the best about it was that he he provided a list of like the highest CIR scores of all time and it was like the best hitters of all time <laughs> which mm-hmm. I, which I thought was very convenient um, so Babe Ruth had the highest CIR of all time mm. uh, <laughs> according to uh, this swing mechanics rating so I don't know um, I mean I agree that that his swing, looks weird and it doesn't look like the kind of swings that we see today and his body doesn't look like the kind of body we see today uh but i i have to imagine that i I mean just relative to relative to his peers he was so much better that's my point like that guy was so much better but that doesn't really make me think that Everyone else was awful so much as it makes me think that he was uh, just some sort of freak. Um, yeah, no, it makes me think he was, that I mean, everyone else was awful. I, it makes me think that the, the the quality of competition was lower, that he was able to stand out to that degree. But I don't know that I look at Babe Ruth and... And, I mean, when you look at Lou Gehrig, he looks like... A person who would be good at hitting um so i don't know i think i mean i think ruth kind of looked awkward compared to players at the time even um but he was just really good for whatever reason had the highest savios impact rating of all time <laughs> yeah i i uh I would, I would take ruth and Gehrig over them uh but that's probably it yeah i i mean i find it frustrating that i can't ever settle this because I, I, there's just something about Ruth that doesn't add up to me. I have a hard time taking him seriously. I have a hard time taking any of it seriously because it doesn't feel right. Like it just feels like, uh, like a first draft and somebody didn't go through and fix all the plot holes. Um, and I'll never, I'll never settle it. I'll like, I'll never actually know the mm-hmm. answer to this. Um, but yeah, I just don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't add up, Ben. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Mm. And the numbers are so like they're they're bonds in 2001 to 2004 good. Like yeah. they're they're hauntingly good. Uh-huh. 
But why? <laughs> why? <laughs> How many people? I mean, how many people were really playing baseball at that point, and how many of them were really playing it in any sort of concerted way and took it seriously at any point in their life? Like, do you even think that those guys took it seriously? It doesn't seem like they really did. Well, I don't think Babe Ruth did, from what I've read. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, what was the U.S. population in in 1927? 400 <laughs> well that that would explain it I didn't I don't know um, to me they were so much better than everyone else at the time that I would I mean as you said didn't you say when we just talked about this recently that like the the very top guys should still conceivably be as elite talent wise as the top guys today well not or, exactly. or well uh, or should be major league caliber at least well, in their in their true talent ability, that should be the case. Yeah. But you know, so that was that was a, that was when you asked me to assume that they had years of training and and mm. and uh, nutrition and all that to to catch them up. Uh-huh. They didn't have that. Uh, hundred nineteen million was the U.S. population in nineteen twenty seven. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, well, I don't know if you're. Well, if you're saying that Babe Ruth would be a joke today then are you saying that uh just every <clears throat> every single baseball player then would have would, would be a joke today or are you saying well, that he for some reason would not adjust well uh, well i no no not not him i'm saying every every player but so mm. the the, th- the tricky thing about this although you know maybe a guy who's uh like game was all speed might tra- it might it might translate over a lot better but but here's the problem is it really actually is really hard to imagine like well if if he was a joke then was you know um you know was jimmy fox because they played together and if jimmy fox was then well then was ted williams because they played together and ted williams was just good and if mm-hmm. ted williams was then was, what was was mickey mantle because they played together and they were you know roughly the same and if mickey mantle was, and you you go well okay so when does it go from black and white to color yeah. and switch over and so this is this question Matthew asked this question uh, uh, if you had a time machine what is the last team that won a World Series that you could transport to present day that you would reasonably expect to make the playoffs <clears throat> I mean you wouldn't say that the uh, 2003 Marlins wouldn't make the playoffs would you no so would you say would... <clears throat> that the would you do you think the 93 Marlins are as good as the you know, roughly as good within the margin of error as the 2013 Red Sox? Mm. Or can you can you see a difference there? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you could draw some sort of cutoff at, uh, I, I don't know, like when modern training methods became prevalent or something, when guys actually started working out and lifting weights and taking those sorts of things seriously maybe that was kind of a break and I, I don't I don't know uh, I mean we were watching baseball then it's hard to think that the baseball that we were watching during our lifetimes was significantly lower quality than the baseball we're watching now significantly lower does seem like hard to accept maybe that's because we don't want to admit it 
Um, or maybe it's because it's it's true. Uh, significantly harder is hard to accept, but so I, I certainly uh, significantly worse. Uh, but um, you know, I think that you can very easily make the presumption that. Well, I mean, we know that. Well, we don't know. I guess we don't technically know this. We've debated this, but we we presume you and I both presume that guys throw harder now, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I've mentioned that guys play with a great deal more speed and strength in a way that actually frightens me uh, for their health. <laughs> yeah. um, and I mean, I just in my head think about Jeffrey Leonard, who was the first star of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and does Jeffrey Leonard really look to me uh, like, um, you know, well, I don't know who a comparable player to Jeffrey Leonard is, but do I actually think that he was as good as, um, uh, you know, Adrian Beltre or something? I, I don't know. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's hard to they they everything looks. We- I'm watching the Godfather Part Three right now, <laughs> which is a whole other situation. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, everything looks sort of cheap there too. Like the like just watching on video on uh, you know watching a video that was shot in 1990. Everything feels kind of slower and lame, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like the color is just off; it doesn't feel as vibrant. Mm-hmm. So I might be fooled by the medium. It might be that this is all about uh, better broadcast. Yeah, it could just be the the quality of the cameras. I I it's don't a know. Tough question. Uh, it is very tough. Uh, um, I don't know. I would be comfortable saying that any team in the the 90s is at the level of, or at least a World Series team of the 90s would be a competitive team today. All right, so uh, just we'll start naming teams. The uh, you know 87, <laughs> 87 Twins. <laughs> uh, well, I don't even want to. The playoffs. I don't want to. I mean, I'm not you're, really. You're only willing on to go the, to the 90s. I'm not you're commenting on the. the not commenting on the strength of the particular team uh, yeah. in question. I'm just talking about the the quality of competition of the league at that time. And I'm gonna say ni- I'm gonna say 1993. I'm just gonna say 93 and leave it at that. I think that 93 is the last year that a World Series team, uh, in general, that I would feel comfortable saying that they would be an upper echelon modern team. Mm. <sighs> yeah, it feels feels right somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking of all the players who were playing in 1993 who also played later and were really good and also played before and were good. Um, but yeah, it's a good point. I don't know how to. <laughs> I don't know how to handle that. I don't know how to deal with that fact. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's sure, weird. I'll go with that here. I guess. All right. Uh, I, yeah, I wonder if you could. I wonder. Well, hmm. I don't know. I mean, if players' aging patterns in baseball were were different than, like, say, like runners, where runners are basically. Ra- I mean, it, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of either sports or um, activities within individual sports where the player is essentially playing against himself that it is, you know, there is no defense, essentially, you know. So for free throws, there's no defense. And for field goals, there's not really a defense and all that. So you, it might be that you sort of see universal 
uh, rhythms in aging for all these athletes in these areas. And so maybe if baseball's aging curve were different, we might actually uh, be able to conclude that the uh, that the era is aging alongside them and throwing off the the rate. That's mm-hmm. a possible way of thinking mm-hmm. about it. But I don't know if that's true. All right. Um, Lex. Ex- expansion has to play some role. Right. I mean, in, it does. Yeah, in, in 1993, does. there were 28 teams. In 1927, there were eight teams, uh, or or no, there were 16 teams. Um, so that's a really good point, Ben. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, that's a really good point. So like, yeah, because in, in 92, that was before that was 26 teams. So you would think that it would. It's actually completely insane that I would say. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> if it's worst, right after an expansion 90, year, <laughs> ninety-eight is probably the worst year you could pick because it was sure. right after two expansions. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if ninety-three is it, then ninety-two certainly would be. Good yeah, point. Good point by. <laughs> good point by, by you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last one. Uh, Matt, different Matt. I think this is the third Matt we've gone to. All different meds. Uh, uh, player signs contract which pays him differently. He's talking about incentives again. Player signs a contract which pays him differently based on team payroll. There, uh, i.e., twenty million dollars if a team has a payroll less than a hundred million, but only five million if a team spends hundred and fifty million. I love this idea because I always have wondered why. Uh, and I guess the union plays a big part in this, and for good reason. I don't begrudge them that. But I've always wondered why players who get to a certain point in their life and really want to win a World Series um, don't make themselves considerably more valuable by taking very little pay. And I would think that one reason they don't do it is because they're essentially in an, in an adversarial relationship with ownership, as all employees are with all capital in, throughout human history. So um, basically, uh, you don't want to just let the owner get rich and and keep his money mm-hmm. um and so this actually the incentive is kind of it goes both ways uh, but basically the player is incentivizing the owner to not only get a good deal on him on that player and therefore be able to sign more players but to actually have to sign more players i think this is actually the sort of most brilliant thing i've ever heard <laughs> Like imagine if, because because think about a team that's like a mid market team, um, like so imagine that the well the Rays the Rays are going to carry a sixty five million dollar payroll this year, mm-hmm. so imagine that next year Max Scherzer went to them, and said that he and let's say Max Scherzer is a thirty million dollar talent and he says I'll sign with you for two million if your payroll is over a hundred, do you think that the Rays would do that? Basically, would the Rays agree to spend? Thirty-five million dollars on uh, more than they planned to get thirty-five million dollars, thirty-three million dollars worth of players plus Max Scherzer. So essentially, get half, uh, you know, get a half price on mm. thirty-five extra million dollars. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if they would, I mean, you think they, you, they should if they could, if they could possibly do it, if there was right. any way possible to do it, they, they should and they would. Mm. And then, therefore, Scherzer all of a sudden finds himself. Uh, not on a raised team that has, you know, thirty-five million dollars plus him, but rather has, um, you know, a hundred million dollars plus him. Basically, a hundred and thirty million dollar team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has forced them to become a big budget team while also enabling them, mm-hmm. making it making it significantly easier for them to be a big budget team. 
Yeah. And it's kind of, uh, it's a great idea. And you might even imagine, you might even, you might stretch and imagine that the union would not mind this because you are creating incentives for teams to spend money elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Every dollar that they spend to reach the new payroll floor that you've dictated for them uh, is a dollar that they weren't planning on spending. And so you've actually pumped more money into the into the player pool um, by requiring them to do this. So the question then is, uh, how much lower is the, the typical payroll than it conceivably could be? Yeah, I, and and whether conceivably could be is even a real thing. Like the mm -hmm. raise, the raise. I mean, the raise ownership could take a loss. I mean, they're, they're rich people. They yeah. if they wanted to, they probably could take a loss. So it's it's not necessary that necessarily that they have to be in the black every year. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there's more revenue for this. It's hard to know exactly how much more revenue you're going to get when you don't know for sure that you're going to make the playoffs or or what. But. Mm -hmm. um, that's yeah. I guess that's the question. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not. It's not really. It's not really even that so much. Is it's how much could you? It's really more how much can you get teams to compromise on what they are willing to spend? Like how much? Um, how much can you pressure them to spend more by making it in their financial interest too? Mm -hmm. God, it's it would be so fun to be a player. And to, to go do that. I, I, I'm surprised t players don't do that partly because they want to win the World Series, but partly also just because it would be, seems like it would be so fun to be, um, you know, a 37-year-old. Like if you're Cliff Lee, uh, I mean, you know, look, $20 million is a lot. So maybe you, maybe, maybe you, as a human, you just never get tired of wanting $20 million. Like mm -hmm. maybe that never seems unnecessary. Uh, but if you were Cliff Lee, wouldn't it be fun to be making the minimum on the raise? right now and just to be that kind of hero who goes and takes the minimum to to help a team win its first world series and meanwhile you know forces the rays to spend more money i mean mm -hmm. cliff lee and uh you know and ubaldo jimenez go to the rays for a combined total of 17 million dollars yeah you'd be an instant fan favorite you would be and i think it would be fun to be an instant fan favorite yeah that's the kind of thing i'd be into <laughs> I like fans. Um, yeah. Hmm. All right. Clever idea. This is a very clever idea. Thanks, Matt. Right again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so that's it for this week. Uh, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Please rate and review us and subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can send us emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. And you can... Go to Amazon through Baseball Prospectus if if possible, and and buy the annual Baseball Prospectus 2014. Uh, and we have writing in there, and Sam has more writing in there and editing in there. Uh, so have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back next week. Good morning, and welcome to episode 371 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Bis. Can we start again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>